You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. The church's mission is to glorify God, which we know it's to bring honor and glory to Him by proclaiming the gospel to the lost in making Christ-like disciples, who then make Christ-like disciples. So it's, it's, we're training up the next generation so that they're ready to train up the next generation. I would have never in my wildest dreams would have thought that I was gonna be at this position in my life still in a church. Um, my testimony goes back to, um, I didn't, I got saved early, fell away from the Lord. It wasn't until after I got out of college that um, we decided to go back to church. But then to see how I went from being that kid, you know, that 23-year-old, 27-year-old when I started uh, under Pastor White's ministry, to now, you know, I'm one of the old guys. Um, it, I think I'm better then than I really probably was. It's just, you know, how memory goes, you know. So, um, but the, the task of sharing things that we went through, the, the trials and tribulations that we faced, so that you can understand why we are where we are, um, and we'll go from there. So, um, so as we continue, come on, here we go. So the church, um, again, proclaiming, oh, I just lost my spot, thank you. Hold on, I got technology problems, there we go is proclaiming the gospel to all people. John 1, 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. I mean, that's what we're here for. We're here to teach that, to share that message of what Jesus Christ has done for every one of us. I mean, that's the important, that you see in every message that's preached, every message that's taught, is that Jesus is the foundation of everything that we do here. And that's how decisions are made, and that's how things we go. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, that's what we're here to make sure that that message goes forward. As we look forward to see what Winston Churchill once said, that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And look at what's happening today. Again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that we're in a vicious circle. It's like we never learn from what we've done. The, the country is heading back to see um, where other countries have failed following a, a socialism, communism, yet we seem to be following that whole set. But the church isn't far behind. Uh, years ago, probably not that long ago, pastor preached a message showing where this is where the world is, this is where the church is, and then by the next generation, as the world moves here, the church now moves to here. So the church, it seems to always follow where the world is going. So what we would have called horrible, deplorable sin 40 years ago, we're now accepting it. I mean, look at what's happening in churches today. Look at the messages that are being taught today. Um, not the fire and brimstone, not the, self, not the basic gospel, but it's prosperity. It's here. Let's make you feel good. You know, if I'm not walking out of a service going, oh, well, what did I get out of it? Then uh, it's not been a good service in some people's mind. 
But that's not what we're here to do, and that's not where we're from. Um, the Bible records a history of people so that following generations may learn from them. I mean, that's what the Bible's all about. It's basically, it's our guidebook. It's, it's everything that we need for our lives right here in our hands. The question is, are you putting it to practice? Are you really looking to see where it's at? So we're trying to change, to challenge and change the next generation so that they know what's going on. So two weeks ago, we took some time and looked at a 501c3 church. You know, that was a, that was a hurdle, that was a, a decision that we had to make as a church as what direction we were gonna go. Um, as I mentioned, this was something that <clears throat> at our previous church that pastor was convicted about, was challenged about, uh, our previous church was a 501c3 church. And realizing where things were now some 20 years ago plus, to understand what the concerns, what the challenges were then, to know that there was some forethought into why we needed to, to change. And so as we looked at a 501c3 church, we realized that when you agree to be a 501c3, and again, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, all it is, it's a ploy by the government to get you under their control. They sold it to churches to say, hey, you need to have this so that you can be tax exempt. You need to have this for protection. Well, we didn't. I mean, the, we looked at the IRS codes that showed that, look, we're already uh, a non-taxable, non-profit organization in their eyes, so why do we need to be a 501c3? But the government had ploys. It, it, it always, if you look at everything that gets set up, it's a way to take away our freedoms. And if we look at what's going on today, and I don't want to start conspiracy theories or starting to, to pick what's there, but look what's happening. They're, they're selling you on a, oh, this is good for you. This is right for everybody. Wearing a mask. Let's look at that as simple. You know, you're wearing a mask today because, you know, it's good for everybody else. It's what you should do. Well, if we start giving up a freedom there, where will be the next freedom to follow? And this is what a 501c3 church does. It begins to lose its freedoms. It waves its freedom of speech. You know, as we talked about, when pastor stands behind that pulpit, he has the freedom to preach whatever the Lord intends him to preach to us. There's no restriction. There's no one here that's that, can't do that. We'll talk a little bit more about that later this morning. But the government, being a 501c, could walk in and go, oh, sorry, you can't do that because you are a government organization. You waive its freedom of religion. Why would that happen? Why does this do that? Well, it's because the government was looking for an opportunity to try to control. It waives its right to influence legislators or legislation that's being crafted. So basically, if Pastor White got up, and he often has, um, Fells let on his heart to tell us about where our government's heading and the wrong direction they're heading, by law, he, if, he was a, if we were a 501c3 church, he couldn't do that. He would be bound that he would be potentially in trouble. Um, I think it was a year ago, maybe the last couple of years, there's been kind of like a, a movement by independent fundamental churches to basically preach a message that throws all this in somebody's face. Um, and, but that's what it's all about. It's where the government is trying to stop us from what we're trying to do what the Lord has intended us to do. We have our constitutionally guaranteed rights. 
First Amendment is there for the church. Government's supposed to stay out of our business. But it's not the other way around, but the government's supposed to stay out of the business so we don't become a state church. But that's exactly what happens here. It also will limit what you can do as far as talking about vital issues of today. And there are many vital issues of today. But by a 501c3 church, you're not allowed to speak up against them. Otherwise, the government could step in and cause all kinds of issues. And it's the being, it becomes controlled by a spirit of fear that it doesn't toe the line with the IRS that it would lose its tax exempt status. I mean, that's where churches become is they're going, well, I, I don't want to take that risk. I, I don't want to preach that message because it could come back to, to basically haunt us as a, as a way to put it. And then you basically become a state-run church. Basically, the, the, the government will then tell us what we can preach, what we can talk about. Um, they're already beginning to do some of that today with calling hate speech, that if there are messages from our pulpit that they don't like, they're going to deem it as hate speech and it comes our way. The church today is not speaking on vital issues just because of that fact. And I praise the Lord that we made that decision not to do that. And then it results in a moral spiral in the culture as the church stands mute. I mean, that's, again, that's how we've gotten where we've gotten to. Do you really think that the church had stood up and really took a stand on issues, had really began to, to teach their people on areas that are now becoming normal? And I hate to use that word anymore. But the church has just kind of, followed suit, just kind of rolled over to it because, hey, look, as long as they were leaving the church alone, letting us in our own little world, we were fine and not focusing on what's going on outside, and now it's knocking at our doorsteps. The church really became a moral compass. The church, stated by John Adams, the church is a moral compass of society. That's what we're here for. We're here to try to, we're to be that, if I can use this term loosely, we're supposed to be the Holy Spirit of the world. We're supposed to be their compass. When things start going away, the church should be notifying our congressmen, our, as we all should be. It's not just the church, it's the whole church's responsibility to let our congressmen know, to let our representatives know, hey, we're heading in the wrong direction. But we've been silent for too long. We really haven't taken that responsibility. Not to be a state-run church, that's why our founders were clear to point out in the First Amendment of the separation. Uh, Galatians 2.4, and that because of the false brethren and other words were brought in, who came privately to spy out our liberty, uh, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring unto us bondage. I mean, that's what's happening. People are getting in. Uh, they're coming in unawares. It's false teachers. Uh, praise the Lord that we have been protected in a lot of what's going on there. Um, and then a 501c3 church were to openly speak out against or organize in opposition to anything that the government declares legal, even if it's immoral, the church would jeopardize, again, its tax-exempt status. So it becomes, where is my focus? And my focus, is our focus on serving the Lord? Is our focus on training up the next generation? Or is our focus on, oh, I can't do that because I'll lose my tax-exempt status? You would think in this, and I would bet in this room we're going like, why would that ever be an issue? But I would believe that there are many, many churches that are concerned about that. I mean, look at the megachurches. If, if the government ever stepped in and started to take things away from them, 
that would be, that would be affecting their power in where they think they are. So, yes, sir. Go ahead. Right. So, again, that's how far this deep reaches. So, where are we at today? So, we're going into who oversees the church. This is kind of the last section of lessons that I wanted to go through. So, before we start, uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be at your house this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, this opportunity to open your word. Lord, we, I just pray that uh, I get out of the way, that I let you come forward, that uh, what you want to be spoken is, is brought forth, that hearts be open and receptive. And Lord, I just pray that as we bring through the rest of this message that, Lord, we really get an understanding as to why uh, we do what we do and uh, the reasons behind it. We thank you in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so open your Bibles. I'm done rambling for a bit. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, um, familiar passage to most. That's Ephesians. I don't want Ephesians. I want... Come on. There it goes. That's Titus. I don't want Titus. My goodness gracious, I'm all over the place today. Give me a second. And I had these marked already, too, so that is even worse. All right. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This is a true saying. If a man desireth the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, nor, not, nor striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetousness. One that ruleth while his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravi gra gravity. Excuse me. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and snare of the devil. Likewise, must deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience. And let these also first be proved them let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grazed, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good decree of great boldness in faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So again, Nothing new there. I mean, we've all studied that. Pastor's gone through that on a number of different occasions. But who oversees the church? Some would say, most would say, well, the pastor is. That's his responsibility. 
We just kind of read the responsibility of a bishop or a pastor, for, for a better term. That's his responsibility. But yet in today's world, we find that that may not be often the case. Others might say, well, it's the deacon board. The deacons are responsible for running things. Um, the church that we left years ago, for the most part, was a deacon board run church. They made the decisions. Uh, pastor would bring issues to them, but again, it became their thought process, their approvals for things to be done. Is that the right way to go? We'll talk about that. Most American churches today are run like a democracy. You know, again, this all came up through a discussion that we had one night that Pastor and I had with Isaac and Ben. You know, some of the most troublesome, cantankerous times that we ever had as a church was in a, board, was in a church business meeting. You want to see things thrown out the window. You want to see the love of God thrown out the window. Go to a business meeting because all of a sudden the mindset changes. It's no longer what's good for the Lord. It's no longer how do we promote the gospel. It's no longer how are we going to handle discipling the next generation. It's what color the hymn book's going to be. You know, what color carpet are we going to bring in? It takes a whole different mindset. And then on top of that, you take the pastor, ask him to leave, and then it's okay, let's talk about a salary. You want to talk about fun conversation. You know, I praise the Lord that we don't do that anymore. You know, um, Mike knows. Mike was there with us. Um, weren't those good times? <laughs> so it's not run like a democracy. It's not the majority rules. Members have a vote, which is used to exercise control. So how would you like the fact that, you know, we decided that we were going to do something for a missionary and yet it's a 50-50 vote split. You know, does the vice president step up or does the pastor go, okay, I'm now going to be the deciding vote? You know, it, it, to look at, back at it now, you're like, wow. And then look at, let's just look at our own government. Look at our own Congress and how, what a debacle that's becoming. You get one group that all of a sudden becomes the more dominant, and then everything changes. You know, if you get the majority vote, you can take it in a whole different direction than what the pastor wants. What the pastor's been led to do if the church goes, eh, you know, nah, we're not with that. You know, it takes you in a whole different set of control. Let's just vote them out. I mean, that's, again, not to bring up a lot of bad history, but that's how we got to where we got to. That's how fellowship kind of got the kickoff, was because there was going to be a vote to see if we were going to keep our pastor in office. Honestly, he had the votes, but he didn't want to see the divide, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. And that's what I've always admired about pastor, his thought of other people, his thought of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ seems to t takes priority over his own whims and thoughts. I mean, again, think of it this way. At the time, he was, a, he was still a young man. Not that you're not a young man now. <laughs> Lots of kids that were still at home. And now all of a sudden, he has the possibility of losing his job. I mean, have you, if you've ever gone through that position of losing a job to realize, 
Well, how am I going to make my house payment? How am I going to make my car payment? How am I going to feed my family? That has a lot of pressure that's put onto you. Now imagine the same thing with a pastor. At any time, if the majority says, you know what, we don't like where he's headed with this, we'll vote him out. You know, where's that security? Where all of a sudden then does his focus go from being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to becoming the servant of the people? Because that's what he's worried about. And that happens every day in churches other than this one. Thank the Lord for that. It's what's used for 501c3, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go farther, of what that indicates as far as following what that. It becomes a creature of the state and not of God. So by allowing those kind of decisions and those kind of churches to run like a democracy, it does not become a creature of God. Jesus is the head of the church. We've pretty much established that. That is a true statement. There's not anybody here that can argue that. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23 says, which he wrought in Christ, which he raised him from the dead and set him at the right hand in the heavenly places. For above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth and is in all in all. Christ is head. But yet, where do we take him off that throne? Where do we take him off the head and we put the government ahead of it? That's what churches have done today. They have turned their back upon what their mission is. They've turned their back on what their calling is because they're worried about the almighty dollar. It, no, it doesn't belong to the pastor. The head is not the pastor. Although, as, we'll, as we read earlier, the pastor is the head. He's the earthly head. But he takes all his direction. He takes all his guidance from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not of Dan White. It's not of whomever. It's of Jesus Christ, and that's the one who leads us. It doesn't belong to the deacons. The deacons, as we just read in 1 Timothy, have some of the same requirements and responsibilities as a pastor. But this isn't ours. This isn't the deacon-run church. The deacons don't decide what's going to happen. We're here to be servants. We're here to support. We're here to uplift. We're here to be your support as you need to be. It doesn't belong to committees. And... Um, Pastor Evans and I had a conversation a couple weeks ago about committees. I mean, churches, again, running like a business, running like a democracy, well, we're going to have this committee, we're going to have this committee. We're going to let them make decisions. Well, they'll make decisions based on what they think the Lord wants to have, not as to what the direction of our pastor has. And the theory and this concern is always with committees is that they become their own little cliques. I mean, this isn't something we haven't seen before. We, those of us at work in, in business today, we see that. You know, there are committees here and there, and their committees have one goal, and one goal is that, that their direction is achieved. Forget everybody else. Forget what's right for everyone. We're here to make sure that we meet our goals and expectations. Amen. 
And that's what happens in our church committee. All of a sudden, they're focused on, I'll, since Ben's not here, I'll pick, it, I'll pick on the student ministry. If that's where his committee was, if that was a committee, and thank God it's not, it's a team, it's a committee, that if the committee all of a sudden looks at what is important for my student ministry, so that if all of a sudden the church isn't focused on the student ministry, the church becomes focused on wherever the Lord has led us as a body, they get offended. Then all of a sudden murmuring begins. And then all of a sudden they start dragging other people into their complaints. And then before you know it, we got turmoil on our hands. That's why it's important that the way that we are structured, the way that we are functioned, is to make sure that we follow the proper chain, which is everything funnels back up through pastor. That's his, and, and for the life of me, I don't know how he does it. Um, I admire him more than he'll ever know. But to, to deal with all the stuff that he has to deal with, between dealing with all of us, as well as dealing with everything out there, as well as his own struggles that he deals with at home, you can have it. You know, I will tell you that when we started, when we were at our previous church and we used to vote on deacons and I had pastor come up to me and go, hey, I'd like you to run to be a deacon. No way. There is no way I want that gig. You know, first of all, I don't want to have my Sunday nights turn into a late night because we have a deacons meeting because it always happens after Sunday night at church. You know, I got to go to work the next day. You know, I don't want that hassle. I want to come in. I want to worship the Lord. I want to work for him. I don't need that headache. So what happens? We start Fellowship Baptist Church. Pastor White comes to me and says, the Lord has led on my heart that you are going to be one of my deacons. How do I argue with that? And do I walk away and say, let me pray about it? It ain't going to work. You know, and I am thankful that I've had this opportunity over these many years to serve you as a deacon. Man. You know, but again, it's not a, it's not a position of power where some deacons are, where all of a sudden, you know, they're expecting to be put up on this level. We're at positions of servants, Man. and that's where we need to be. And it doesn't, as we look at the church, it doesn't belong to the congregation. The congregation doesn't dictate what this church is going to do. This congregation does not dictate what color of hymns we're going to use or what hymn book we're going to use or, you know, again, some things as simple as, you know, the color of the, the auditorium or the color of the nursery. You know, Mike just painted it, just painted what I was told and never argued with it, you know, just got it done. You know, but that's what we're here for. Again, it's our focus is on the ministry. It's not on the case by case. The church, it's a living organism with Christ as our living head. I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago as we looked at that picture of the founding members of the church, there are very few that are here. The church has evolved. I don't want to use the word evolved, sorry. The church has manifested. Let's use that as a better word. Church has manifested. There are people that come in. There are people that go out. There are people that come in. You know, it is different than what it was when we first moved into this building some years ago. It was different than what it was two years ago. You know, that's just how things manipulate. It's ever-changing. But what's structurally correct about the way we do things is that Christ is still the head. He never changes. He stays right where it needs to be. It's not to be organized as a corporation. A lot of churches today are, because of 501c3, are basically a corporation. Yeah, it says blankety-blank Baptist Church on the signage, 
but if you look at the details into their paperwork, they are a corporation, okay? Which then leads you into a whole nother sense of requirement. It is, I've gotta have so many trustees or deacons. It's, I've gotta have a voting set. I've gotta be able to give people notice before a vote. It becomes no longer a church living organism. It becomes a body of the state in the way that it's run. A corporation can be defined as an artificial legal entity created by or under the authority of the laws of the state. So that's what happens. If you become a corporation, you are bound to follow the guidelines of the state. So for example, let's take something that's of recent. If our glorious governor comes in and says, thou shalt not have church service because of COVID, well, by a corporation requirement, she can come in and shut our doors. There's nothing we could do about it because we are not, in their eyes, an independent, fundamental, non-state-funded church, not state-run church, because we're a corporation. So we follow those same guidelines. I mean, those of you that are under, that work today for companies, uh, we run in the same boat. I'm not allowed, I've not been in, I went to my office last week. It's the first time I've been in my office in six months because we're not allowed in the building because of the state health guidelines. We're not supposed to be there. You know, and it would be very easy and we're starting to see this being implemented across the country where the governments are going, you guys can't meet. Now there are, have been enough that have revolted or basically used their first amendment rights to go, no, you can't do that. But mark my words, those things are coming as the state steps into um, where we are. So let's, uh, I'm running out of time here, which I figured I would be. Um, Christ exercises his headship through spiritually mature elders. Uh, Timothy 1, 5 through 9, uh, we won't go there, but it's basically a mirror of what we just read in, in Timothy. It's basically who are those people to be in charge? Who are those men that are supposed to be in charge? And, you know, that may cause some issues today. And the fact that there are, are women in leadership roles, that's not what the Lord intended. Study it out. Find it out from there. First, the man of himself is a man of spiritual maturity, not necessary in years. So when we started at the former church years and years and years ago, pastor was there, I think he was 24, maybe. Was that old you were when you started at Napoleon? 21. Okay, so to put a, a man in that position, somebody might go, that's awful young. You know, looking at it today, it's awful young. Some of you, it's not awful young, but today it seems like it's awful young. But it wasn't his age, it was his maturity level. And that's what God had intended him for do. And that's why as things have grown, it's interesting, he's talked about this before, we've butted heads on once or twice, Kate, because we were both kind of a, we're both the same age and we were both growing up together so it was that maturity where today eh, none of that matters is what it would to us years ago ephesians 4 11 and he gave some past some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists some pastors and teachers the lord had us a plan for his church uh, i don't want to burn up a lot of your time so i do want to i do want to hit this last point if i can and get to it 
because I'm, run, I'm running out of time and I don't want to be over because I hate that when it happens. So what do we do? What we, why do we do what we do? Why do we focus on this type of, of organization? Well, we do what we do because we're concerned about unity. I mean, every decision that's made here, and Pastor will tell you this, it's based on we don't want to disrupt the unity of this church. If there's a concern, if there's a caution by anyone of what we're going to do, then we'll step back. He'll step back. Because the last thing we want to do is cause this unity. And I want to just drop down to this last couple of points here. It's a loving truthfulness. You know, there should never be a surprise here at Fellowship Baptist Church. You know, it, it blows my mind when I hear people that come to pastor and go, you know what, we're not coming back, and here's why. So my first question would always be, well, did you go to pastor? Did you tell him that there was a concern? Did you try to work through it? I mean, there's a whole step of, if you have ought with a brother, procedure in the Bible of how you should follow by going to them directly, going with two or more, bringing it before the congregation. It's the same thing here. There should never be a surprise. He should never be surprised that somebody's not happy here. If there's something that's bothering you, if there's something you don't like, don't hold it. Don't go talk to somebody else and go, I don't like this about what's going on. Go to the source. Be it me, if I bother you. Be a pastor of what he's preaching. Be it a message that God has brought forth. Go to him. Talk to him. Because that's what's unique about this church is that there is open communication. We are a family here. Just like I tell my children, if you got an issue, come talk to me. Let's work through it. Don't just keep it inside. Don't let it bundle over because you're going to make a wrong decision if you do so. I hope this series has been helpful. I hope it kind of helps you understand a little bit of how we got from point A to point B. Um, Again, a lot of history here, even in our short time that we've been here. We've gone through an awful lot. And we are a unique church. You know, those of you that have come from other churches, I bet you've gone, wow, these guys are different. You know, um, I've other, you know, other people have gone to other churches and go, wow, we really wish we'd have stayed. You know, really wish the Lord would have brought us back, Matt Kronbach. So I hope that this has been a blessing to you. It wasn't, again, it, it, it was a different series for me, taking in a different direction. I'm not used to doing this, although... This is kind of what I do as far as an instructional point. Um, So I guess overall, you know, search it out. If you've got questions, look for it. Spend time in the Word. This is, we don't need a constitution. We have the Word of God. Every decision is based on this. Every mindset of how we do things is all here. It's not rocket science. It's not man's idea. It's what the Lord has intended for us. Pastor Evans is close to prayer. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at 
of Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.